0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. Happy Merry Christmas, uh, if you're celebrating. If you're not celebrating, and if this is a kind of day that gets kind of lonely as, as the holidays uh, are for many people, then I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here because it's good to be around people in some form when you're feeling isolated, so welcome. And a lot to discuss on the proxy war front especially. That's where I want to, uh, start today. This week in Washington, there was a proxy war party. Both parties, the Democrats and Republicans, threw a proxy war party for the guest of honor, uh, President Zelensky. And the display we saw, I thought was, um, just a farce and also very scary because after some scattered talk of diplomacy, we've talked about this here and elsewhere, uh, from people like Mark Milley, the top general in the U.S. calling for diplomacy just a few weeks ago. That was after pro- congressional progressives were forced to retract their call for diplomacy. But after, you know, a little bit of talk like that and also Macron, the president of France said similar things too. I thought there was a chance that we would see some, some shifts in the uh in the pro war mood inside nato states but that's not the case and i think zelensky's visit solidified that that was a a made for tv moment uh to cement support for this proxy war well into the new year that's just very very clear and what was amazing to me about it is it came with like some quiet admissions that the us has not changed its battlefield assessment that the best ukraine Can do is achieve a stalemate. So, for example, this is, this was in, um, this is from the New York Times. The most likely scenario going into the second year of the war is a stalemate in which neither army can take much land despite intense fighting. That's New York Times, uh, rendering the the position of, of of U.S. officials in private—that's not what they say publicly, but that's what they say privately. And this is what Chris Murphy said of Connecticut. He's the—he's uh, a member of the, of the Foreign Relations Committee. He says, "What Ukraine needs is enough firepower to show Putin the limits of his power. Putin is never going to meaningfully come to the table unless he is seen in real terms where his power stops. And so that means you have to be perhaps willing to fund a stalemate for a period of time." So Murphy is saying that, you know, we're not funding a war in which Ukraine has a meaningful chance of winning, of, of expelling Russian troops, which is the official aim. He's saying we have to be willing to fund a stalemate. And what that means is basically just continuing the real reason for this war from the U.S. point of view, which is to bleed Russia for as long as possible, to draw this war out for as long as you can, as Lindsey Graham said, to fight to the last person, because that's what Ukraine's willing to do, uh, in order to bleed Russia. Uh, for as long as possible. And that's reflected even in the fact that despite, you know, all these claims that the U.S. has Ukraine's back, the U.S. is actually not giving Ukraine a lot of the weapons that it wants. Um, so for example, there's an advisor to Zelensky named Mikhailo Podolyak, Mikhailo Podolyak. Uh, and he had a tweet that was called My Christmas Wishlist. Uh, but the only weapon in that five-weapon Christmas wish list that the U.S. is committed to giving is the Patriot air defense system, and just one battery of that. Which, although that's you know that significant, it's not going to I think make a, a meaningful change in the war. It's obvious that while the, even if the Patriot is as af- effective as they say it is, and of course there's there's some questions about that going back to the Gulf War, it's not going to be enough to stop the onslaught. Of Russian missiles that continue to come in. So, if Biden is denying four out of five items on the Ukrainian government's Christmas wish list, how can we expect that the next year will bring any meaningful change on the battlefield? A battlefield in which Russia has, you know, captured up to twenty percent of Ukraine, although that number is a little bit less now, but still a, a sizable amount. Um, and I think that can only be. Desirable if your goal is again not to defend Ukraine but to bleed Russia for as long for as long as you can, and Zelensky, for whatever reason, is willing to let himself be used for that and to be the face of it. And so this is a compendium of of coverage of how Zelensky was described in U.S. media. This was this uh, was put together by uh, the Tucker Carlson show on Fox News. This compilation and that's the only place on cable news where you can see any kind of criticism of the proxy war. And so this is what this is how cable news sounded in the US in case you missed it.
1: Politicians and the press often toss around comparisons to Winston Churchill, but this time, minus the cigar and the whiskey, it fits.
2: President Biden face to face with the man who was who has drawn comparisons to Winston Churchill and in a dramatic wartime appearance reminiscent of Winston Churchill in World War II, this was historic. Uh, Some people have compared it to when Churchill came.
1: Zelensky is very much acting in the Churchillian tradition. What could be a Churchillian moment?
0: So, you know, uh, you get the picture and it goes on. Uh, So basically, Zelensky is the new Churchill, uh, Putin is the new Hitler. And uh, that's the script being repeated across U.S. media. And, you know, it's especially significant seeing What Republicans are saying, because, you know, before the midterms, there was some talk from Democrats that, oh, no, if you elect Republicans, they're going to stop funding this sacred proxy war, that they're going to cut this off. But look at what Republicans are actually saying. This is Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Senate Republicans this week.
1: Making sure the Defense Department can deal
2: with the major threats coming from Russia and China. Providing assistance for The Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now. According to most Republicans, that's sort of how we see
1: the challenges confronting uh, the country at the moment.
0: So that's an amazing statement for many reasons. And, you know, Mitch McConnell just said something similar on on Twitter, where he wrote, he tweeted out a picture of himself and Zelensky. And he wrote, continuing our support for Ukraine is morally right, But it is not only that. It is also a direct investment in cold, hard American interests. And I appreciate that because progressives who support this proxy war in lockstep with Mitch McConnell have to pretend as if joining arms with Mitch McConnell and Liz Cheney is also the progressive thing to do, that somehow this is in defense of progressive values to fund this Endless proxy war. Uh, but McConnell doesn't have to pretend that he's progressive and cares about things like peace and freedom. He says this is a direct investment in cold, hard American interests. And what does that mean? It means hegemony. And that's what this proxy war is all about. Hegemony and war profiteering, which Congress has newly uh, uh Accelerated with another $44 billion in funding that they've just approved. Um, and this is a recent headline in the New York Times. Military spending surges creating new boom for arms makers. The combination of the war in Ukraine and concern about longer-term threats from Russia and China is driving a bipartisan push to increase U.S. capacity to produce weapons. The article quotes the uh, maker of the Stinger missile, which is made by Raytheon. And he says this, we went through six years of stingers in 10 months. Uh, Gregory Hayes, Raytheon's chief executive said earlier this month, referring to 1600 of the company's shoulder fired anti-aircraft missiles sent by the U S to Ukraine. And he goes on. So it will take us multiple years to restock and replenish. So here he is bragging that six years of stingers have been used in just 10 months. And so, this is a boom for the arms industry, and that's why, if you guys saw this, there was a recent article in Vox talking about, uh, which showed a headline, uh, which, which showed an invitation to a recent dinner thrown by the Ukrainian embassy in Ukraine to celebrate the uh, anniversary of the armed forces of Ukraine. And the invitation uh, shows at the bottom the, the sponsors of the dinner, and the sponsors are Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, and Lockheed Martin all military contractors who are profiting handsomely off of the current support for Ukraine. And here also is another Republican, Mike McCall. He will be, he's the incoming, uh, chair of the house foreign affairs committee. Uh, and this is what he said about, uh, supporting the proxy war in Ukraine.
1: And what we're seeing right now, uh, is a a struggle for the global balance of power in the world. And that would be Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, particularly Chairman Xi in China, uh, who's in the Solomon Islands, is looking at Taiwan, but also is on the holy alliance of Putin and Ukraine. Uh, you cannot uh, bifurcate these uh, world powers. And they're all against freedom and democracy uh, in the West. So I, I thought it was a um, while well, I was worried that it would be politicized. Uh, I thought he gave a, a tremendous speech um, that was inspiring to not only the United States, but to the world.
0: Yeah. So that's Mike McCall uh, worrying about the speech being politicized, but he doesn't have to worry about that because this is, this proxy war is firmly bipartisan. And, you know, just going back to something that Mitch McConnell said. So he says in that clip I played that the priority, the number one priority for the U S according to most Republicans is providing assistance to Ukraine. Now, if he's talking about Republicans in Congress, yes, I think that's that's true. But if you even look at polls, for example, there was one recently in the, in the Wall Street Journal that found that half of Republican voters uh, want to cut aid to Ukraine. So, typically, though, of a politician, Republicans is not constituted by by the uh, by the electorate, the people who elect Republicans. It's it's defined by who the leaders are and who is in Congress. And that's what they want matters, not what actually even their own base wants. Because according to a Wall Street Journal poll from just recently, um, half uh, of Republican uh, voters want to cut aid uh, to Ukraine. Um, for example, this is a recent headline in the Wall Street Journal. Republican voters hold an increasingly skeptical view of aid to Ukraine. Uh, so some 59% of, of Republican voters uh, said they oppose additional aid for the war effort. So the majority of Republican voters actually support uh, more aid to Ukraine. And of course, I'm sure on the Democratic side, it's the opposite. And that's thanks to years of Russiagate propaganda that have convinced Democrats that the way to stand up for democracy is by siding with the CIA and the National Security State and uh, criminalizing diplomacy with Russia. Now, one more item on this I want to discuss, and then we'll open it up to calls. It's great to see so many in the queue. There's a new article by a uh, journalist and former special forces officer named Jack Murphy. And I don't know much about him except I know that he got Syria right from what I remember. I remember him, him being right about Syria. And that to me builds instant credibility because so many people got Syria and the dirty war in Syria so horribly wrong. And by the way, Syria today is celebrating Christmas and there's images coming out of Christmas celebrations across the country. And that very outcome is one that the U.S. and its allies worked so hard to stop because Al-Qaeda and the other sectarian death squads that the U.S. sided with wanted to wipe out minority groups in Syria like the Christians and accordingly wipe out their celebrations like today. So it's always heartening to see displays like we're seeing today in Syria, where a country that faced a, a horrible, dirty war and now is living under murderous sanctions that are deliberately strangling the population is still being resilient. And holding the kinds of celebrations that the U.S. and its allies work so hard to stop. But anyway, putting that aside. So Jack Murphy, he has an article out on his website and I will link to it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes and this chat. And it's called the CIA is using a European allies NATO spy service to conduct a covert sabotage campaign inside Russia under the agency's direction, according to former U.S. intelligence and military officials. So Jack Murphy who, you know, former U.S. Special Forces, he claims to have spoken to a number of uh, uh, former U.S. And, uh, military and intelligence officials, and one person who he says has been briefed on this campaign, and he's saying here the CIA is using a NATO ally to basically carry out a sabotage campaign inside of Russia, and that includes uh, blowing up uh, railway bridges, fuel depots, and sabotaging power plants. That's what he says. Now, of course, this could all be wrong, like any you know anonymously sourced story, but um this guy to me has credibility, and it makes sense to me that the u s would be doing this because I think it'd be too risky to use the CIA's own officers inside of Russia, but it could be more likely that they'd be using someone else someone some other country's spy services to do it and it's also been known for a while that actually such action has been authorized because. Uh, th- uh, this gets overlooked, but you know, going back to what I was saying about how Russiagate has helped bring us this current moment. After Russiagate and after Russia was accused of hacking Democratic Party emails, which, of course, I think now has been shown to be a scam, um, Obama approved what's called the presidential finding. He signed a presidential finding, which is basically the president to, uh, authorizes covert activity inside a foreign country. And that means it's, you know, among many things, it's allocated a lot of resources. uh uh, by the CIA. And also, it gets to be conducted under the cloak of secrecy. So o- only a few members of Congress need to be briefed. And otherwise, it could be completely kept from the rest of Congress and the public. So even if you were to ask the CIA, are you doing this specific thing? You're allowed to say it's false under, uh, the, under the rules for covert operations like this. And so after, uh, Russia was accused of, you know, uh, hacking Democratic Party emails, Obama signed a covert action against Russia. That was reported a few years ago in the Washington Post. And it allowed the NSA uh, and the CIA to, quote, uh, to plant, quote, cyber weapons in Russia's infrastructure, according to the Washington Post, which first revealed this back in 2017. So it wouldn't surprise me if this program of the kind that Jack Murphy is detailing here is being carried out under that authority. And it's just another example of, All the ways in which we are being brought closer to war with Russia, because if Russia, you know, finds evidence that the CIA is involved in sabotaging its power plants, its bridges, its infrastructure, that could be seen as a uh, cause for war. Just as the U.S. would probably see such similar activity here as a cause for war, and both these things that are potentially happening behind the scenes, we don't know about. Because again, I don't know for sure if this story is correct. It could be. It could be exaggerated, you know, some details could be wrong, but also the things we're seeing in public, like, yes, we're not giving Ukraine all the weapons that it wants, but we're still giving it a lot. And we're certainly giving Ukraine enough weapons to keep the war going for a long time. And Ukraine's shown recently its willingness to strike inside of Russia, which it has every right to do, but in the process, every action like that increases the escalation level. That's just the reality of it. So all these things are going on that are uh, not just increasing the suffering of Ukrainian civilians, but toying with the possibility of war. And that's where we're at. Um, After some brief hope for diplomacy, it's an endless proxy war. That to me seems to be the decision in Washington. Okay, that's my rant. Let's open it up to calls. And great to see so many people here today. All right, Steve, you're first.
1: Hi, Aaron, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, Aaron, thanks. Uh, Mary everything. To everyone. Um, I'm going to say kind of what I say to everyone, which is uh, talk, having a debating society isn't enough. We, we got to take action. And uh, when uh, I'm, I'm older, so uh, not to lecture young people, but uh, actually, yes, to lecture young people. Um, so in the 1980s, we had something called the Pledge of Resistance that was part of the anti-Central America war movement. And we, we all signed this pledge. I think more than 100,000 people signed it. And we took civil disobedience training. A lot of people were trained in the late 80s on doing civil disobedience, and a lot of people did civil disobedience in, in affinity groups and with lawyers the whole nine yards. I don't, see that ha- I don't see that getting organized, and what we did on the Pledge of Resistance is, we said, when the United States invades, directly, with its soldiers, El Salvador or Nicaragua, we will commit civil disobedience, you know, like federal buildings, military installations, so on and so forth. Who, it's counterfactual, who knows if we stopped the U.S. from invading Central America, but they didn't directly invade Central America. Um, and I, I just think we need a movement like that now. And um, people who are under 30 are, uh, need to be trained to do civil disobedience, and things need to be happening because this is worse. So uh, that's uh basically my point. And if anyone can put in the what someone is writing, nothing can stop the war, well, that you're a nihilist, then maybe you shouldn't. You know, whatever. Uh, I'm not a nihilist. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Americans could stop the war. So um, that's what I had to say. And if anyone could put in the chat, hey, Steve, people are doing this, people are doing that, especially in uh, on the West Coast, because for some reason we're not doing anything on the West Coast. Okay, th- that's all.
0: Hey, Steve, let me ask you... Uh... Yeah. The people who organized that Pledge of Resistance back yeah. in the 80s, yeah. were those Christian groups or was it?
1: Like uh, it was, it, you know, it's very interesting. Okay, yeah. so I was a young Marxist. Yeah. Uh, many of us were. And there were older, there were, um, there were Quakers. There were a lot of Quakers. There were Mennonites. There were different Christian groups. There were different Jewish groups who were peace activists. And they had, there was a peace movement. yeah. And it was, Aaron, it was about 50% religious and 50% basically Marxist. And where are these people now? I, I don't know, Aaron, and it's, it's, if someone could explain it, great. But uh, God, you don't just go down uh, without swinging, you know, yeah. you, you, you gotta go down swinging, people. Thanks, Aaron.
0: Yeah, well, it's um, things are different now. In June of 1982, there was a massive rally in Central Park. Uh, over a million people uh, calling for some action on nuclear weapons because at that point, the nuclear uh, weapons race was just out. It was insane how many weapons. I mean, it's, it's insane now, but it was even more insane back then. So uh, more than a million people, Central Park, New York, June two thousand. Uh, Sorry, June 1982. And that actually had an impact. It led, it it helped encourage arms control agreements, um, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. I think it directly caused the INF Treaty. It almost led to a deal in which um, uh, Reagan and Gorbachev agreed to wipe out all nuclear weapons. That was Gorbachev's proposal. And Reagan apparently tentatively agreed to some, to something. But of course, Reagan's aides undermined that, um, if that story is correct. Um, but it led to something. And, and of course, what happened to the INF Treaty, which was a direct result of popular activism? Well, Trump killed it. Trump, because he appointed people like John Bolton, pulled out of that treaty with Russia. And nobody cared in the U.S. media because at that point, uh, that was the height of Russiagate. And they were more interested in fantasies that Trump was really being blackmailed by Putin than in the reality that Trump's actual policies were radically escalating the danger of nuclear war with Putin's government. And so that was ignored. And um, the U.S. even tested an uh, intermediate-range missile immediately after pulling out of that treaty, like just to show how much it didn't care about uh, respecting the previous limits on those weapons before. And um, that's one of the reasons why we're in this war in Ukraine today, because if you, if you go back to December 2021, so a year ago, Russia releases these long draft treaties with the U.S. and NATO, and one of the issues they wanted to address was basically the the fact that the US had killed the INF treaty which had which meant that now a, both countries could develop a whole new class of nuclear weapons that had previously been banned and the Russia basically wanted to reimpose the INF treaty safeguards and the US expressed some willingness to discuss that but along with rejecting so many other Proposals, including, uh, the idea of halting NATO expansion and rolling back NATO military infrastructure in neighboring states around Russia. That was, because that was the U.S. response. You know, those proposals didn't go anywhere. And now we're in a state today where right now, actually, the U.S. and Russia aren't even talking about renewing New START, uh, which is the last treaty limiting the nuclear stockpiles of both countries. And there was supposed to be some recent discussions about renewing New START, but Russia pulled out of them. Uh, saying that that I want to talk to the US right now amidst this war so that's where we're at you know openly flirting with uh, uh, and, and openly increasing the danger of nuclear war and nuclear pro- pro- nuclear proliferation it's quite something okay um, and I've put in by the way in the chat the link to that Jack Murphy article for those who want to check it out It's interesting okay you meet
3: hey Aaron hi there hi hi thanks uh thanks for 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 taking my call um first of all I would like to 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 convey my gratitude to you first of all second of all to max and to to ben because you are the guys that i know from uh, originally from from the um how to say that um i think it was max who started this from the um, moderate rebels website, and then he get, went on to gray zone anyway,
0: yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, you know, not that it matters, yeah. but so Max founded gray zone, yeah. And then him and Ben Norton had a podcast called Moderate Rebels, which they did mm-hmm. for a while, but they don't do anymore, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. the gray zone is is Max's creation, and uh, uh I'm still there w- with Max. Ben has moved on to other things, mm-hmm. but uh, correct. yeah,
3: correct. But anyway, thanks to you guys, because uh, that's, that's why I got to, to um, how do you say that? Um, anyway, I was aware of you guys, and you as well. So, um, and thanks to you, because you talked to Professor Cohen before he died uh, about the situation within Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I would like to rant, if I may. I'm sorry what i'm looking well, at
0: you, yeah, yeah. like well, you can try but i'm i might impose a time limit at, uh, depending of on that uh, yeah it's, but go ahead your, go ahead
3: yeah go ahead or uh, yeah yeah well what i what i see right now is is um um some kind of um i'm from the netherlands and i see some kind of a uh, polarization against russia and uh i would like to see some kind of um how to say that um information from people from Russia for instance, just to see how things really are if you if you if you catch my drift how are things in in, in, in essence because right now we are we, we, we get the the information of like um, okay the Russians have uh, just before, a couple of weeks ago I think uh, the Russians are, are retreating from 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 something, but when I look at the alternative media, uh, we, which is you, of course, uh, as well, uh, then we see like, okay, the Russians are—they um, are grinding the Ukrainian force. Just just to, to, to look at um, um, the situation at uh, uh, in Ukraine right now. So, what I would like to know is how can we, as a people, see? Uh, get um, how do you say that a, a a picture which is not polarized, which is um, um, how do you say that um, um, you have objective? Yeah, that you have an objective picture. People like us, not 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 uh, people like you, because you have uh, some kind of uh, journalistic uh, freedom, but people just just people like me or the people next to me. Sorry. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, you you have to find sources that you trust to get Mm -hmm. a clear picture. And it's and it's difficult, especially in the time of a war. It's really hard to get an accurate picture if you're not there. And, you know, it's hard to trust Russian sources because they're biased in favor of uh, Russia's narrative. And it's hard to trust the Ukrainian government, especially because you can. I mean, I, I, I know Russia puts up propaganda and Ukraine's been caught putting out just straight lies there was even a ukrainian minister who had to resign because she was putting out fake allegations about ukrainian uh infants or children being raped um mm-hmm. and the, so it, it's hard uh, in war and you had just use your best judgment but it's difficult and in this you know in western media i've never seen anything like the ukraine proxy war i think even the even from what I remember of the lead up to the Iraq War, and certainly after the war began, there was more room for dissent back then uh, yeah. than there is now. Um, like the 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 wall of censorship is it's just unbelievable. For example, like today, or you know, uh, this weekend in the New York Times, I was reading something, and there, there was some article about you know the latest in Ukraine, and, and the Times says something about there haven't been meaningful peace negotiations between Ukraine and Russia for months. Mm-hmm. And I thought, OK, huh, well, so when was the last time there was meaningful peace negotiation between Ukraine and Russia? And the answer mm-hmm. is one that you will never, ever, ever find anywhere in U.S. media. It just, it's literally it's sen- It's like it's de facto censored that there were talks between Ukraine and Russia back in March. And they reached mm-hmm. a tentative agreement. And yeah, the U.S. Absolutely. and Boris Johnson killed those talks. We, and we U.S. audiences ha- have not been allowed to learn about that. It's only been reported in Ukrainian media. And elsewhere, Fiona Hill is the one exception who wrote an, an article in Foreign Affairs, where she mentioned that there was an agreement reached between Ukraine and Russia. She just, she just didn't mention what actually happened to it, who killed it. So
3: is that the one what Lavrov talked talked about in, in uh, so that we almost had uh, some kind of agreement?
0: Yeah, I I, I, mean, I didn't see him say that, but if that's what he said, then that's certainly what he's referring to. And Putin recently talked mm-hmm. about it for the first time. a few months ago. Putin mentioned that. We had an agreement and but ukraine was ordered to wreck the agreement so that was him i think talking about that as well but you know western audiences aren't aren't allowed to learn about it it just doesn't get reported because it's too inconvenient that the us and the uk killed what appears to be a peace agreement between ukraine and russia
3: okay so one one more question aaron is there any way for us uh, non journalist to, to to um um how do you say that to to get to information that you for instance uh, uh, can get to uh, how do we how do we um um get to to some kind of information that that, that, that can be more um how do you say that more objective instead of biased or or <laughs> should we just read everything that we have to that we get get our uh, that we can get our grabs on. Yeah. yeah,
0: well, I mean, uh, look, that's a that's a for that's every individual's decision how much time they have, what kind of resources they have, like how, you know, mm-hmm. how, how cuz it, it takes a research project, I mean, to do to to be really informed and most people don't have the kind of time for that. So, yeah. um you just have to find sources you trust and I can re- I can I'm happy to always recommend some. I'll I'll put one name in the chat. There's a Ukrainian sociologist who I've learned a lot from mm-hmm. n- named Volodymyr Ishenko. I'll put his name in the chat right now. Uh, okay. And there's people like Scott Ritter, mm-hmm. who I I think is very well informed.
3: <laughs> um, he's a, he's a rock star. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. now you know it
0: doesn't mean I always agree with him, but mm-hmm. I, I think he's very well informed, and I think he I think he is a critical thinker, and he's willing to challenge. The conventional narrative, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Doug McGregor, someone also who's who comes from the yeah. U.S. military establishment, has a very um, different point of view. Uh, Colonel Daniel Davis, another one, um, and uh, and yeah, and you know, uh, there's there's a website uh, that I read pretty frequently called Moon of Alabama. If you if you know that one,
3: yeah, um, I know that one. Yeah,
0: it, you know, it, it just t- you know, but it's like this is me developing my own sense of who i can trust and sometimes that's just intuition it's you know because it's impossible to vet every single thing that someone says but of course uh, and then and then what i do too and like what i like what i do and if you read the stuff i write most you know the like 99 percent of my sources are just western media i just Mm -hmm. read a lot of western media and then i try to find the admissions that are you know that seem to be um you know credible like not propaganda and it, mm-hmm. you know, and when, and you'll find that if you know the Washington Post, the New York Times admits something that goes against interest, which and their interest is basically enforcing the state line. So if there's a disclosure that contradicts that, you can bet yeah. that's, that it's that it's true <laughs> because because it, it, it somehow, yeah, like made it past you know, the okay. uh, the de facto censorship. So, um, but yeah, look, it's it's a challenge for all of us, and it's it's mm-hmm. very, you know, we, we all can just do the best and 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 use our Judgment to the best we can.
3: Okay, can I can I just just make one more source? Uh, yeah. uh, among all the there was Pepe Escobar. He's he's really good at, at when we, we talk about uh, Asia. Um, he's very good in in, in, in in giving his his takes on what's happening over there. So yeah, thank you, Aaron. Um, thank you. I wish you I wish you all a Merry Christmas or whatever you call it and i hope to talk to you soon thank you very thank much. you
0: thanks for the call to you, to you as well okay mm-hmm. andrew
4: hi aaron i hope you're doing well
0: thank you to you too uh
4: yeah one of the things that you said about reading western articles i think a uh, good tip for people that want to read like washington post or new york times skeptically is to read the headline and then start the article at the bottom and Read off,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, because
4: yeah. the admissions and the truth are always buried in the last couple paragraphs.
0: That is true, that is true, that is true, that is true. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, sorry, the go ahead, like, for example, like the one example I've probably quoted more than any other was, um, in the New York Times a few months ago, back in September. And I quote it all the time because it's so revealing, and it says this. Some U.S. officials express concern that the most dangerous moments are yet to come, even as Putin has avoided escalating the war in ways that, le- that in ways that have, at times, baffled Western officials. Putin has made only limited attempts to destroy critical infrastructure or to target Ukrainian government buildings. So that's in September in the New York Times. That is, what, seven months into the war? And the Times is admitting that Putin has avoided targeting critical infrastructure so much so that Western officials are baffled. And accordingly, they fear that the worst moments are yet to come because Russia really hasn't taken the gloves off yet, which is exactly what has happened since, because that was in September and now we're in December. And what's happened? Well, Ukraine struck the Kerch Bridge. Ukraine struck inside Russia. And what has Russia done? It's for the first time done large scale bombings of Ukrainian civilian infrastructure. Now, You know, Russia is criminally culpable for targeting civilian infrastructure, even if they can claim it has a military capability, which they do. But still, if you you know, I think like Russia is doing exactly what U.S. officials predicted, which is going after infrastructure. And given that U.S. officials predicted this and feared it was about to come, why didn't they do everything they could to avoid that? Why didn't they embrace diplomacy like General Milley was calling for? It's because they want to use Ukraine for a proxy war, and that to me is 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 criminal. And that's why admissions like that in the heart. Of these establishment mouthpieces, like the Times, are so significant. Exactly.
4: Um, other article that comes to mind is Washington Post saying that there's no. Uh, I don't remember paraphrasing. They said there's no concrete evidence that Russia
0: destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline. I mean. Oh yeah, that just came out. Like- that 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 one just came out. So you know, uh, back when the Nord Stream pipeline was bombed, and thank you for bringing that up, um, because. That is so – because, of course, we're all supposed to forget about this massive act of terrorism on this hugely important pipeline. But, yeah, the headline the Washington Post from last week, no conclusive evidence Russia is behind Nord Stream attack. And what's funny is, um, you know, at, the, at like when it happened, Western officials claimed it was Russia and the media just went along with that, even though it defies all logic and there was, of course, no evidence for it. But now – you know, many months later, now we can finally admit, oh, yeah, maybe it actually wasn't Russia. There's no evidence for that, in fact. Yeah, you can
4: take the word conclusive out of the headline because it's really the story is there is no evidence. No, <laughs> nothing.
0: Absolutely nothing. It, you're right. And that's amazing. That's they soften
4: great, it that way so yeah, that their of readers so even,
0: can it even, so even an article that's acknowledging there's zero evidence for this nonsensical allegation that Russia bombed its own pi- pipeline. They still have to water it, even while admitting that they have, they have to water it down. So no conclusive evidence Russia right. is behind Nord attack. No, it's actually no evidence. I didn't mean to
4: sidetrack with all this because I wanted yeah. to talk about, um, I mean, it's good conversation, but I wanted to bring up the reaction I had to some of the reactions to Zelensky's visit. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then I had
4: a little Christmas surprise for you. That's quick at the end. Um. So... Twice, once by the media and once by Congress. Zelensky was laughed at mid-speech. Did did you see these things happen?
5: They, they, uh, yeah, like what he said. They they misread it.
4: Okay, they thought it was a laugh line. So once, when he was with Biden, he said basically, "You wonder what signals will we give you after you give us the Patriot missile, and the next signal we will give you is send more Patriots." And then the reporters laughed, and he looked up, kind of shocked, and. Like, this isn't a laugh line. And he goes, I should say, he was speaking in Ukrainian at the time. And then when they laughed, he switched to English and Mm -hmm. goes, I'm sorry, we're in a war. And, like, you know, it shows the disconnect between the West and Zelensky. And then again, it happened in Congress when he made a similar line about something. I can't remember the exact line, but the Congress laughed. And again, it wasn't a laugh line. And it just shows the total disconnect that these people have. Like, oh, he's going to ask for more. (laughs) Haha, isn't that cute? And it's like these people, it just shows how it's a game to these people. Even these, you know, and I almost felt bad for him. I don't like Zelensky. Uh, It just made me enraged at how these people are laughing. And they don't even realize, you know, they're just so detached.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I missed that. Uh, I, uh, yeah. um, And... They, it's it's incredible to see someone fetted as a hero, and really, in fact, and that kind of episode underscores they really have can, they really have disdain for him, and ultimately contempt in that they're willing to use his country for such cynical ends. And it's and I guess to be able to do that, you actually have to look down on your underling that way, while still pretending that you see him as the second coming of uh, Churchill.
4: I think they just see, yeah they see him as like plucky, and they yeah. laugh because it's like a comic book or something to them. But yeah, I mean. And the other thing I was going to say is that the only time that Congress can get together and clap you know, in a bipartisan way is when a foreign leader comes over, whether yes. it's Netanyahu <laughs> or Zelensky. It's, yes. it's like they can't – and then they go, well, it's for American interests. And it's like, yeah. well, it's funny how you can never clap for American interests, like let's build a bridge, let's give someone health care. But the second that we have amorphous American interests that have nothing to do with America as far as anyone can tell, or Americans, I mean it's oligarchic interests. But like now, it's about American interests, and we can all clap for a foreign leader. I just think that's yes. so
0: ridiculous. Um, and what did and what did Netanyahu come over to do the last time he spoke to Congress? It was uninvited. To try to, it was to try to kill the Iran nuclear deal, uh, <laughs> and of course that angered some people in the Biden administration. Sorry, in the Obama administration. But what did Joe Biden just admit privately in like a at some public event when someone? what like asked him as he was shaking hands about the Iran nuclear deal. He admitted the, that the Iran nuclear deal is dead. He's done. He's not going back to it. So even and that though, doesn't even, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It just well, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying is like seven years later, Netanyahu succeeded uh, in, right. in convincing the Obama Biden camp to kill their own nuclear deal. Cause that's what Biden just committed to.
4: Yeah, he's, it's it's amazing, the power that they have. But anyway, um, the Christmas surprise for you, uh, you were named in the Twitter files uh, as a censored person. I don't know if you're aware of that. They tried well, to I... cover up the names, but they failed.
0: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't I... surprise you. Can you can you post the tweet in the chat or or you know i'll have to go look for it
4: but yeah put it uh i'll send you a message or because i don't have it on me this second or someone might be able
0: to put it in the chat
3: but yeah you you were
4: among kyle kolinsky by the way was another person for specifically for russian disinformation by the way right so list of apparently russian and he didn't earn
0: that obviously you did because you do good work well so i'm not sure if that was a list of censored accounts like i did see some some screenshot of where my where my twitter handle was mentioned but i'm not sure if that was a list of things that needed to be censored i think it was i think it was charting accounts who had like uh i think it was charting accounts who had basically helped amplify what the what what u.s intelligence said was a false narrative that there are new nazis inside ukraine i think that's what it was so i don't know if i was recommended for censorship or not i mean i You know, I'm very interested to see what else comes out of this, but um, I'm not sure it was a call to censor me or just basically, you know, like doing these things where they collect data and they see who's spreading what they see as unwelcome narratives. Like, for example, there are neo-Nazis inside the Ukrainian military. But it's interesting. And and it raises the question, like, no matter what, no matter what it was, like, why is U.S. intelligence collecting data on U.S. accounts who say narratives that they don't like, that go against their agenda. I mean, it's just... Uh,
6: well, they're targeting uh, you.
0: You can't yeah.
4: say whether or not they're staying to censor you in that specific instance. They're targeting you. And the interesting thing is that I've heard is that they're buying this data, which is some kind of end around... The, apparently, all of this intelligence agency data gathering is done under the authority of an executive order. Uh-huh. And that executive order is uh, basically allows them to not gather it outright but to purchase it from these social media companies so they purchase the data then they crawl through it and they set up targets and then they hand them back the list and you're on the list i mean that's that's what that shows
0: yeah that's i mean the twitter files there's been some really interesting stuff there's you know like uh the pentagon basically using twitter to run a psyop campaign to like you know promote its narratives in the middle east and looking for people who are going against the u.s narrative on ukraine and yeah, men and elsewhere. I mean, it's, that's all really interesting stuff. I mean... No matter no matter what you think about Elon Musk, I mean, that's stuff that... that uh, and, and on top, of course, is what we learned about the Hunter Biden story, which is, you know, which just confirmed everything we already knew. But still, it's it's important to see what happened on the inside. And I think there... I'm expecting that there will be more disclosures. I am a bit disappointed so far in that the way it's been reported and, and the way Elon Musk has talked about it, he... You know, he said that the uh, he said something to the effect of that suppression only happened to the right, right? right. Which is just to me um, nonsensical. It's it's so obvious that pro Palestinian accounts were censored right. and others as well. And He's I just playing like, into
4: a narrative. Yeah, he is it's and, bullshit.
0: And that's the problem. See, everyone has an interest in pretending that actual leftists don't exist. Right. It, it's an, it's in the interest of you know, like of liberals, like neoliberals, to pretend as if they represent the left because they get to claim the mantle of like the good values of the left to pretend that that's all they are, that, that that's what they represent while shutting out the actual left, which actually doesn't see them as upholding actual progressive values. And, and of course it's in the interest of the right as well, because, you know, uh, cause liberals are so authoritarian sometimes and also are so hypocritical oh, that it's in their interest too, to pretend as if liberals represent the real left. So it's like, it just means that in stories like this, actual leftists get get left out, and I hope as more disclosures come out that that will change, and we'll learn about whatever censorship is going on of the actual left, not of um, not just of people on the right.
4: Yeah, I think Matt Taibbi is trying to do his best to wedge that. He's he's making it a point that this isn't a partisan issue. He wants to show how the system works and that anyone could be a target of it, and yeah. obviously yeah. – from your work on Syria alone, I mean, forget Ukraine, you're, I mean, the amount of space you take up in these people's heads has to be insane, which is hilarious to me. Uh, Congratulations on that. So anyway, happy holidays. And I hope uh, it does become a bigger issue. That's not partisan so we can all move on and punish the FBI and big tech for this, because that's what needs to happen.
0: It's a plan. It's a plan. Thank you, Andrew. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Okay. Heidi.
7: Hi. Yeah. I want. Hi. Hi. I wanted to add a little bit to what Andrew was saying because it goes further than just watching us. Um, I think we should all be paying attention to the legislation they're trying to pass against domestic terrorism because that's going to be held against all of us. And uh, the other thing I wanted to say about Ukraine and this whole thing with the Patriot missiles, I don't know how much of your audience overlaps with uh, Michael Tracy's gathering of experts. So if this is... um, Uh, a repeat for any of you, I apologize. Uh, but what I was going to say regarding that was, um, I saw General McGregor, or I'm sorry, Colonel McGregor on, um, Redacted with Clayton and Natalie Morris. And he was talking about how the Patriots, uh, aren't going to have the effect that, uh, that uh, people are thinking that it is. Like, it is an escalation, but it's, uh, an escalation basically in political theater. Because the reason being, because Russia is prepared to uh, ma- basically make um, Ukraine just shoot them off ineffectively, and with them being as expensive as they are, it, me being the eternal optimist that I am, <laughs> I look at it as the beginning of the end. That's what I hope to see. That um, it's just going to be too much. We're spending too much money. We're never. We're not having any effect. Uh, or, or the money that we're spending isn't having the effect that we hope it will in Ukraine. And so hopefully it, it will lead to, you know, the, the diplomatic end of the war and it, it'll be over soon. I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. And happy Festivus.
0: Well, amen to all that. I, I hope so, too. And thank thank you for the call. And Sterling, you are next. And uh, after that, the call queue was looking pretty empty. So If anybody wants to jump in, uh, please do. Don't be shy. Um, And if not, we'll end it early because I'm out of rants for the day. All right, Sterling, go ahead. Sterling, if you're there, I know you've been on before, so you know how to unmute yourself. It's the microphone in the bottom left. And if you're having problems, You can always jump back in the queue and I'll let you back in. Okay. We'll move on to chip. All right, chip. Hi. And Chip, if you're there, there is a microphone. I hit the button. Yeah, there you go. I, yeah, I hit the button. There
8: you go. didn't change it, so sorry about that. Um, no worries. I'm not real good at extemporaneous speaking, so I'm going to – I hope I don't stumble with what I'm trying to express here. Um, the last time I called in, I said a few things about what I consider to be the larger context within which these events that we discuss happen, and – I was listening to the first person, I think his name was Steve. Is that close? Anyway, he was talking about, you know, organizing protests and getting lots of people out to try to change the course of the way the military-industrial complex moves and the MIC and all that sort of thing. Um, and I, the, the way I'm perceiving this whole mess in Ukraine is the the problem is that the neocons and the John Boltons and all the rest of them of the world, they've got like a hundred year head start on demonization of Russia that started in 1917, you know, and to, to continue on. I mean, we, we get upset and agitated over what I refer to as events. And in, in, in that sense, The war today is, if you consider, you know, starting in 1917, the war today is an event. It's not an extended thing. I mean, as long as it's been going on for a while. But people get agitated and activated for short periods of time over events. And if you don't take into account, you know, where did we, how did we get here? And that's the phrase I used the last time I called in. There's been a sustained effort on the part of the Paul Wolfowitzes, the Robert Kagan's, the, you know, um, the, the Bill Crystals of the world. These guys have been at this for a long time. It, th- th- this Ukraine situation, which to me, and I think a lot of us believe is really a proxy war between Washington and Moscow. Um, this whole situation didn't just pop out of the, out of the ground it's been developing for at least 30 years in the short term right you start off with wolfowitz's doctrine in 1991 you go through the crushing of the russian economy by people like larry summers and the harvard institute for international development you have the first or the fourth nato expansion which people like um, why can I never remember his name? The guy who invented the containment doctrine. What's his? Who was that? Anyway, he said in nineteen ninety-eight, you expand NATO and you're risking war, and and on and on and on and on. This stuff has just been building and building and building. And that would be uh, George Kennan. Thank you. Yes, right. Yeah. And and you know, I mean, in in the, in the year two thousand, the Russian Duma asked to join the EU. They were rebuffed. In two thousand and one, Putin asked—you know—the evil Putin asked to join NATO. He was rebuffed. He's, and it just continues yeah. on and on, on. Yeah,
0: anyway, it, it does, what, what, and, and it's 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 very difficult to condense that history into uh, into a narrative that people can can follow because there's so much background. And even talking about the war in Ukraine, you know, the lead up to even I, the immediate years, it, it take you know, like you have to talk about the the twenty fourteen coup. The role in the U.S. and the ensuing Civil War, uh, the crackdown on ethnic Russians. Um, and then you have to talk about the killing of arms control, like the INF Treaty, right? Um, but it's, and it's, the it's and, and Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. And you have to talk about the expansion of NATO. There's there's just a lot to cover. Uh, Chip, thank you for the call. Uh, there's okay. a lot of callers, so I, I want to keep it moving. So thank you for calling in. Happy I'm holidays. Okay. okay. Okay, Amanda, go ahead.
9: Hi, Aaron. Heather, uh, first. A specific compliment to you, I uh, really appreciate the way that you opened the show today. It's at a very nice tone, even in spite of the rant. It's very nice to have somebody acknowledge the people that aren't necessarily with other people today. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I was watching the, the appearance of Zelensky in front of Congress. And yeah. oh, my God gosh he looked so uncomfortable that it was going on for so it in my mind what he was thinking like god how long are they going to continue when were they stop clapping stop clapping Mm. please yeah stop I mean he just looked so horribly uncomfortable yeah and then didn't seem to understand the flag situation with the with the American flag being given to him, I mean, US flag given to him. I mean, I just, what are you, I mean, just looking, watching him, what did, what were your thoughts?
0: Um, I mean, I just thought, he, I mean, the way he was reading off his paper, it was just so scripted and he's an actor. I mean, that's his background. He is a, uh, and that's, so he strikes me as someone doesn't have any principles and back when he was running for office people were tired of war and so he painted himself as someone who was going to bring peace to ukraine he was going to make compromises he was going to end the war in the donbass and he even you know as i've written about i think he made some serious efforts to do that um, he appointed some people who i think actually wanted to make peace but it's just this i mean as that appearance shows it's not about him. It's not It's not about his government. It's about what the U.S. wants. I mean, their are forces just bigger than him, and that's ultimately who he's chosen to answer to. And if he hadn't, if he had chosen to be actually, I think, in the interest of his people, of his country, and made peace with Russia, he certainly wouldn't be in front of Congress being welcomed as a hero. And I don't even think he'd still be in, in government because Ukraine's far right, I think, would overthrow him, as they did Yanukovych in 2014. And as they threatened to do to Zelensky, if he ever made peace with, with the Donbass rebels, before the Russian invasion. And so he wouldn't even be there. And so that's why he's there because he's willing to take orders. And it's just, uh, I share your reaction and just being, uh, it's, it's sad. It's sad to watch.
9: Thanks, Aaron. I hope you have a really good rest of your day today and you know, the rest of the year.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You as well. All right. Left is best.
6: Hey, hey Aaron. Um, Hey there. The kind of a divergent topic, somewhat similar. I mean, because a lot of a lot of these foreign conflicts, right, are, are initiated, you know, uh, covertly through um, the CIA, right. And so, um, was it on the fifteenth? Uh, Biden had the opportunity opportunity to release, you know, like one of the the remaining tranches of the JFK documents, you know, and and, and I guess he didn't do it. And so I was wondering I was wondering what your opinion is on 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 the impact of like if it if it does come out that that the CIA had a heavy hand in um uh in regards to JFK's assassination if <clears throat> if you know if if the the final documents are like 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 you know what's the term bulletproof or bullet um uh final bullet or what, or what like just just if there's more like definitive connections between oswald and the cia and, and that that it in fact was like a, a Dulles brothers op against um jfk because I, I find that the cia is so, so despicable you know the you know from like operation gladio gladio b you know the jakarta method is just all these these covert operations that they do you know for the sake of of what we know is the uphold capitalism, but they 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 guise it as upholding you know U.S. hegemony and 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 these these independent countries are a threat to the United States, and and to have that like if that if that department was just eliminated because you know the uh, the citizens just lost complete faith in the agency because I mean if they can kill a U.S. president you know and then get away with it and and just like how how rogue an agency can you be and i was just wondering you know if it does you know who whoever does finally you know get you know release the final documents and and we know the truth what kind of what is your opinion what do you think happened and 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 if it is the ci what do you think that would mean you know for the agency going forward
0: well look here i will admit to my bias when it comes to the issue of kennedy um i've and this is where i differ from pretty much all my friends in media who are definitely convinced that there was a plot to kill Kennedy and that Kennedy was taking on the deep state. And that's why he was killed basically. Um, I I have no doubt there's some, there's something really damning being covered up or else why is it taking so long for us to get these documents? I suspect though, that this has to do with um, the CIA's ties to, I mean, this is purely my conjecture, but basically uh, like before I get into what my theory is, let me just say like where I'm coming from on the, on the Kennedy issue I've only read two books on the issue of Kennedy the dark and, and they have happening written by two of my heroes The, the Dark side of Camelot by Seymour Hirsch and Rethinking Camelot by Noam Chomsky and both these books uh, and I admit I mean this is, this is a limited you know uh, this is a a limited perspective because it's only two books and I'm sure there's many more books that offer a different point of view I know there are. But these two books paint such a damning portrayal of JFK, escalating the war in Vietnam. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, the Kennedy's, uh, like Robert Kennedy's brother wiretapping Dr. King. Um, the Bay of Pigs. And despite the claims that they were fooled into approving that, you know, Kennedy being privately, very fanatically against Castro and Cuba. So all these things lead me to believe that Kennedy was not the anti-deep state crusader that, you know, some people portray him as. And uh, for example, claims that he wanted to pull out of Vietnam, I reading these two books, I just don't see evidence for that claim. Now, many people will disagree with that and they'll point to certain memoranda that Kennedy signed or something. And, And to me, it's like very, you know, for example, like Oliver Stone really believes in the contrary point of view, which is that Kennedy was fighting the national security state. But, these two books really shape my worldview. So that's why to me the idea that the Dulles brothers conspired because Kennedy was undermining them. I mean, maybe. Um, but I just those two books have given me a bias against that point of view. So I just want to be straight about that, because that's where I'm coming from. Now, of course, many people disagree with me, and to their credit, they've read about more about this issue than I have. But I certainly think, obviously, there's no reason at all for these documents to be held. They should be released, and if they are released. And it turns out that Kennedy was killed exactly because he was going against the deep state. I'll be the first to admit that, that I was wrong. And, uh, what I also know is the Kennedy family was really in deep with the mob, that they used the mob, for example, in covert overseas operations. That's something that's written about in, uh, in, in Cy Hirsch's book and things went South. And, um, so I just wouldn't be surprised if this was a mob hit And the CIA maybe work with some of the people who were involved, but uh, is not necessarily as damning as this high level plot from the Dulles brothers. But who knows? It's all speculation. Uh, I could be totally wrong. That's where I'm coming from. Just to be. Have you you
6: seen the the Oliver Stone doc, uh, uh, the JFK revisited through the through the Looking Glass? I have not watched it. No. You need to watch that. There's a okay. lot of there's a lot of loose ends that might be tied up in your head, and you might be uh, swayed in in our direction. But all right, all right, Aaron. Thanks for the um, answering that quick question, and uh, have a, a good holidays, whatever it is that you um, celebrate.
0: Thank you, you as well. And I will watch that documentary. Um, holidays are a great time to catch up on all the things I missed throughout it's the just, year. I think it's
6: free on YouTube and JFK. Rivera. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. uh, I'm putting that on my playlist. So thank you for that. And I will watch that. Um, and um, yeah, okay, Derek. Hey, Aaron, respect. Um, yeah, I like
10: those recommendations. Uh, I'm, I'm more in the other camp, uh, you know, respectfully. I don't know how far in the other camp I am, but uh, it's important to absorb, you know, more perspective, more yeah. information. So,
3: Absolutely.
10: um, but, uh, I wanted to bounce an idea off of you. Uh, if it's, if it's too off topic or not focused enough in the way that you want, I, I understand. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and try. Um, yeah, sure. all right. I've been pushing the idea of, uh, establishing a, a national interest council to sort of counterbalance the, uh, the effects of, the, the National Security Council, you know, as far as, uh, you know, offering information and discernment to uh, the executive branch for the purpose of foreign policy, primarily. Um, I think there's a, a profound and conspicuous lack of embracing a, a definition of the national interest that's consistent with what most of us would want, um, if you ask. Um, Americans, what's the national interest of the United States? I mean, you'll you'll get uh, a wide variety of cynical responses. Um, then, if you ask, uh, well, what what should it be? You, you'll get a lot of blank stares and it's kind of random goody-goody ideas, you know, but nothing yeah solid, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it would be a small council. I'm thinking it would be you know, more academic in its, uh, in its orientation, it would generate independent policy studies and offer recommendations in a way that's transparent. Um, publish these for anyone in the world to read. Yeah. Um, of course, in the end it would be up to our, our chosen presidents to pick and choose, you know, what they, what they, uh, you know, decide, as far as what they're going to pursue in foreign policy, but it would let the world know, let us know, as Americans. Um, you being a Canadian, but still, you know what I'm saying. Um, yes, yeah. That there, yeah. there, you know, there were these other you options. There were other yeah. opinions being offered that the president uh, was directly, you know, in the room yeah. for, or whatever. Anyway, sorry.
0: Yeah. Well, just when you're coming up for a name for this group you're going to have to be a little bit creative because, because there is already a council for the national interest uh that uh is a uh, nonprofit. and they and they have a website and they actually do some anti-war stuff and they and they're pretty good on palestine in my experience
10: um yeah I've looked into that I just I yeah. I think uh it would be wise to stick with I mean maybe this is very debatable but uh the national interest council because it's so you know to me it it, it just sounds like it should have been there yeah, right? sure. Whenever it was in the '40s, when the National Security Council was established, it just seems yeah. like, well, it's long overdue. Put it where it belongs within the executive branch. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Uh, you know, um, it's one of the it's it's one of the many achievements of state propaganda that the term you know American interests gets thrown around so widely, like you know, in the way it's discussed in news media and by politicians, but no one ever defines what American interests are. But the operational definition is always whatever strengthens U.S. hegemony. But no one ever asked, does you know starving Syrian children, how is that in the interest of average Americans?
10: Right. You and know? increasingly, I think we've, we've come to get way too comfortable with the idea that, that our, our leaders are, are pronouncing everything to be a, 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 an aspect of our primary national sure. interest. There isn't even yeah. discussion about secondary and tertiary. Yep. So, yeah. you know, uh, is a
0: fancy word, but yes, yes. Um, <laughs>
10: yeah, I read a book. I <laughs> think I'm special now. Yeah, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, we're not even at this place in society where we can have an elevated discussion in a basic way about who the fuck we are.
0: Absolutely. You know,
10: absolutely. What does it mean to promote democracy?
0: Yes. Um, and, and, if, and if you look at Congress right now, I mean, usually, I mean, historically, you've at least had some progressives. Willing to do that, like willing to challenge the notion that we have the right to rule over the world, and, uh, and and willing to raise the fact that it's not in the interests of average people. But look at Democrats right now, Bernie Sanders' the squad, all voting in lockstep with Mitch McConnell on right. this catastrophic proxy war. So I've, it's never I've never seen things in my lifetime so show so like across the board chauvinistic. It's just uh, and you know like Ro Khanna, who you know d- who's done some decent things. He talks about American exceptionalism, which no one begins to think, like, who are the people in history who call themselves exceptional? Right. It's only empires or want to be empires like the Nazis. You know? Right.
10: Well, well that's, that's a big part of it. Even if we still – we're still going to have people that are like, you know, flag-waving, super ridiculous with the rhetoric kind of – you know, American yeah. exceptionalism is the way to go. But if there were an alternative – you know, description or a or, uh, definition of the national interest that was embraced by a, a large section of society, at least, then I think it would, it would force them to contend with what that means. You could go ahead, be an a, an American exceptionalist. Um, if it's consistent with these values of, you know, gotcha. adhering yeah. to the rule of law, domestic and international, uh, human rights considerations global environment environmental concerns and you yeah. know on and on human rights yeah. issues across the board um then it's like okay well now there's something to that instead of this mindless rhetoric yep that could mean anything or nothing at all Yeah. yep so yep. I, I don't know i'm curious how how best do you think it would be uh well i mean be-
0: yeah i mean uh, uh it's a great idea uh and um it's the kind of thing that would happen if we ever elect people who actually represent average people and not and aren't, you know, intimidated by by the war lobby. I think, you know, that's a long way away. But I, I think that's a that's a very uh interesting proposal that's worth pushing for one day when you know, when it's a, when it's a possibility. And well, thank you for the call. All right. Thank you. Okay, Sterling is back there you go. <laughs>
2: finally aaron i hope you're enjoying yeah. your um holiday i really do i think you really deserve it and uh, i was thinking i was like who would i want to who would i wish merry christmas to and it's like all of the like far left reporting people that are keeping me in touch with the truth because it just gets scary at this point um but i wanted to talk about the arrogance and you've ta- a few people have spoken it just rips my heart out how there's so many people that are completely feel like we have our hands tied because we don't know what to do but we would do something if it was organized but the american arrogance If i don't know why we're playing around with this anymore we want this war we want this war with russia um, I think with our, what did we say? What was it? Seven countries in five years or five countries in seven years. Our arrogance is unbelievable. I think we wanted all of the Middle East. I think Russia gets in the way of Syria, obviously. I think that was infuriating. And we may have discussed this before. Um, and Iran. And Iran. Um, we have big plans there. And I think that um, we don't care who dies. Um, and as far as when I was listening to Chip earlier talking about, um, oh, but also arrogance doesn't allow any discussion. So that's why nobody is allowed to discuss anything. Um, and just watching it is so just unbelievably infuriating. But Chip was talking about, you, you and Chip were talking about the war effort or anti-war movements in the 80s. New York, I lived there, um, loved it, is nothing like it was in the 70s and 80s. Um, And so I don't know that something like that could happen, but maybe Um, it's a lot of, it's really expensive. And I don't know if the same people, like there's enough of the same people, but you live there, I think Aaron, so there might be a chance, Um, but yeah,
0: if uh, I mean, if my own experience is is any guide, especially living in Brooklyn, I would I don't think Ah, so. okay, <laughs> at, at okay. Right well, now. that's where everybody yeah. went.
2: You know, it's like they left the village and all went to Brooklyn. And everybody's yeah. looking for the artists. They always follow the artists.
0: Yes, um, I mean, so- was, for example, like like a few weeks ago, I went <laughs> to a rally for Julian Assange, and yeah, you know, uh, Roger Waters spoke, and
2: I saw uh, and it. I was,
0: yeah, and it was great, but it was it was a very small turnout. And that I keeps just, shocking me. Yeah, well, that's just that's just where we're at. Um,
2: okay, uh, you know, it'll get like, bigger.
0: It's not the time right now for for uh, anti-imperialists or, or like whatever you want to call no, now is people, the absolute
2: you know. time. this yeah. now is the absolute time, but really quickly he touched yeah. you asked if there were Christians involved. and this is the thing that's been really infuriating me because you know for me, the Bible makes pretty clear that um, uh, as far as the Old Testament, Jesus God liked to reason with his people um it's even in isaiah uh, let us yep. reason together we don't do that russia's trying to reason we're not reasoning um jesus's quote is, is saying there will be wars and there will be rumors of war nowhere indicating that we should be anticip- participating in any way shape or form however i've been to some of these churches and they talk about a just war um we don't do those wars anymore this is all proxy war this is um And I think it's kind of the same thing is happening with the churches as they are with, like, Big Pharma. I think you have big churches. I think they're very pro-war. I've noticed that even in the Episcopal Church that my mother's side of the family is about, they seem to be very pro this war because I think there's a lot of fundraising on it. And the whole thing to me is just so unbelievably sick. And that Zelensky spoke before Christmas, I was practically in tears. I'm like, this is like... The biggest, most performative freak show and fleecing of the of Americans. I just I don't know why people aren't more upset with what is happening. But then I feel like oh yeah, I'm just the biggest Christmas buzzkill. And it's like look, <laughs> yeah. you don't even get Christmas if you're not getting that. We need to be really negotiating for peace here because I don't know that this will end well. But um, it so would yeah. be wonderful.
0: It, it'd be wonderful if all these politicians who claim to love Jesus actually oh. followed followed his actual words. Oh that, my gosh, be, it the world would be amazing. I'd oh. be I'd be, I'd be a fundamentalist Christian if 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 it actually meant li- living by Jesus' actual uh, teachings. But um you know the reason I asked Steve before whether or not the people he was involved with in Central American yeah. Solidarity in the 80s were 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 Christian groups is because that's my understanding of who really drove the solidarity movement with yeah, Central America. The Quakers. Because because the Reagan administration was basically attacking the Catholic Church in central in Central America
6: mm-hmm. because the
0: Catholic Church was on the side of poor people. So that's why they had to be destroyed. And that's why, you know, nuns were massacred in places like El yes. Salvador. And, it was um, horrible.
2: They were raped and, and massacred. It was really yeah. awful. But you know, the Pope just came out and said we have to support Ukraine and that really flipped me out. I was like, You'd better off say nothing. Right. Better off to say right. war's bad, I'm not gonna get involved than to say no, you really need to I mean, so, yeah, no, I'm feeling like there's a real weird, like, shift that's going around right now. And we just have to be true to ourselves, which to me is completely anti-war. It's just not even, it's not an option, especially when you don't negotiate first.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Sterling, thank you for the holiday wishes and for the call. Appreciate it. Okay,
5: Nestor. Oh, hey, Aaron. uh, uh, Happy holidays, man. To you you as well. Yeah, I hope you had uh, plenty of food to eat. Um, you too. So, so I like I like the calls on here It made me think about a lot of things. Um, but what I, I think what I want to add to it is that I think people still have a hard time wrapping their minds around the fact that the United States has never had a left government. It's always been uh, it's never had a good president, like all the presidents, Abraham Lincoln everybody that you might think might have been somewhat good. They all did things uh, that uh, were not questionable. We're just playing evil. I mean, there there is no there is no scenario where uh, uh, there has been any good. So it's it's kind of like um, you know people are are, are like there. There was one caller that was saying that oh I don't you know I don't know who we are. Well, United States has always known who they are. They started as a slave republic. And their intentions were always to uh, become uh, bigger than where they were, and and I think that was always the intention. It, it didn't make sense. Maybe it was a, it was an ambition. You know, like all these, uh, all these, um, like throughout human history, any nation that starts with violence, they always have the intention to be uh, bigger than what they are. They always have some sort of like manifest destiny. They want to be more now with with what's going on now i think it's kind of like uh the united states has finally come to to a point that you know you can't go on for more you're 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 stuck because you're losing you keep on losing they're losing this proxy war in ukraine uh they they lost to the taliban i mean it's been a loss after loss after loss and 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 they don't know where to go what to do and it's you know it's becoming to a point where you know maybe they might decide to you know just go out with with the nukes and and just start that nuclear war that they have always wanted because ever since the united states got nukes they were not shy about the fact that they wanted to use them again you know japan was not the only place they wanted to use it they, that was meant to be a way to intimidate uh, the soviet union intimidate anybody else and let them know hey look we got this we can use it on your people and and in the korean war they threatened the chinese to use those nukes because the chinese were whooping their ass in korea they threatened the Vietnamese, uh, the, in Vietnam War, they threatened to use nuclear because they were getting whooped by the Vietnamese, and and they've, they've always wanted to have this nuclear war, and especially back then, they really wanted to have, because they knew they had the edge over the Soviet Union, at least, because uh, they, they, they were first to the technology, uh, and now they, they, they waited too long, and now they, they see that you know China soon is going to be a peer-to-peer power both in nuclear arms and in, in uh in navy and, and land force and everything and russia is proving that the united states was never ready to have a peer-to-peer conflict so i i don't know what's going to happen when this war in ukraine is over but one thing i know is that united states is going to become like a very desperate animal that's cornered and and you know god help us when that happens that's,
0: so that's hey, all i, want. I... I agree with everything you said. Thank you for the call. Okay. Ian, you will be what looks like our last caller. Go ahead. All right. Hey, Aaron. Hey there. Oh, we lost Ian. Uh, I will let him jump back in if uh, that was an accident, which happens sometimes. And... um, if not, we will, there, no, okay, well, Derek is back. But Derek, you've already spoken, and I want to let people who haven't spoken yet have a chance to speak. So, Ian, if you are not able to make your way back in, we'll have to just wrap it there. Thanks, to everybody, for joining me today, spending some time uh, with us today. I really appreciate everybody tuning in and, and calling in. I hope your day is going well. If you're celebrating, and again, if you find yourself alone today, um, just know that, uh, you know, days like this can be challenging, but you know, tomorrow's a new day and all of us have been there at a certain point. So I just hope nobody feels alone today. And that, uh, and I hope that maybe being a part of this conversation was, was helpful if you're going through that. And otherwise I'll be back here next week, uh, around the same t- on the same day, not the same time. Um, I actually, you know what next Sunday is new year's day. So maybe I'll do it on a different day. Anyway, I'll keep you posted.